Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We've missed you. It's been nearly two months, you know. Well, I suppose that's our fault, really, but let's just put that behind us. We're here now, aren't we, Catherine? Yeah, two two months' worth of, of rubbish opinions to talk about. Well, two two months in which you've been saved from rubbish opinions and uh, predictions. Oh, I've, so, I've been storing you know, them up. Yeah, we're going to make up for lost time right now. Uh, how are you doing, Catherine? It was a sunny day the other day here in the UK, wasn't it? Did you uh, did, did you take your brother to the woodshed, as Brad Gilbert would say? It's, it's been well established on this podcast over the two years we've been doing it that I have not once taken my brother anywhere remotely close to the woodshed. Um, <laughs> but we're yet to have our first spring match of uh, our first outdoor match of uh, 2014. So um, it lies in wait for the, for the next mini heat wave we get, probably October now. Don't you think, though, that if you challenged him to a match with puddles on the court, you might have a better chance? Well, remember, I th- I think one podcast in the depth of, of the last, the winter we're just emerging from, I think we did record just after I'd had a moderately successful attempt at playing my brother. And it turns out that adverse weather conditions do play in my favour. I have learned that. Oh, Oh, all right then. Well, I'll make sure it's a glorious day when I, when I have my challenge match against you. Uh, well, since uh, we last spoke to you, when Stanislas Vavrinka had just won the Australian Open, you've been to Delray Beach in Stockholm on the ATP Champions Tour. Catherine, how was all that? I have two very uh, contrasting events: Delray Beach, glorious sunshine. Um, obviously, the event runs alongside the ATP event, which is very interesting. Especially, we had Andy Roddick in Delray Beach this year. And playing the uh, uh, and the Champions Tour event on Delray Beach, I should say, and then on the ATP event, you had the likes of Tommy Haas and uh, Leighton Hewitt. So you had a players' lounge with Andy Roddick, Tommy Haas, and Leighton Hewitt in, all very much the same age and the same generation. One's on the Champions Tour, and the other two are um, are still plugging away on the main tour. So it was quite interesting to observe them sort of interacting. Um, about how different their their lives are now, and how different are they? Extremely different. I mean, Andy Roddick is a is a pretty much full time broadcaster now. You know, he's not dabbling in it a bit. You know, doing a bit of commentary during um, during tennis grand slams. He's um, he's got a, a I think it's five days a week, something like that, four maybe five days a week um, show. He's he's totally committed to to that line of work just at the moment which must be an enormous 
contrast to to how life had been for him up until a year and a half ago. And what did Haas and Hewitt make of all that? Because Hewitt's been dabbling in his own broadcasting, hasn't he? He does some commentary during the Australian Open, and from what I from what I've seen, he's very good at it. And a lot of people have have been very complimentary about him. And and I mean, Tommy Haas isn't short of an opinion or two either. No, I have to say, I think Leighton Hewitt is um, possibly. I mean, big words, I know, but possibly a McEnroe in the making, uh, commentary-wise. He really is um, a, a very astute commentator. I mean, he's a student of the game, isn't he? We use that um, term about Murray quite a lot, but he's re- he's a real tennis geek, if you like. He really does analyse the game to its very core, and, he, and he's able to express that very well but um and frankly why why would he why would he still be playing if not apparently i mean yesterday he he notched up his 600th match win i mean congratulations Leighton hewitt for starters i remember when he when he uh, won the title i think it was in adelaide it wasn't it in 1998 i mean you know that's 16 yeah. years ago yeah absolutely i mean I, I there are very few players that have got to 600 match wins i don't know if you know off the top of your head i'm sure i've heard it quoted in the last couple of days in relation to hewitt but i doubt many of them have had to fight as hard as hewitt has for those six what he's been through and hung in there through um in the past well more than 15 years now to get to that point I think is and and for him still to be out there and motivated enough to be out there I think he's incredible frankly I think he's really incredible and I hope I hope he doesn't become forgotten about in in the tennis annals of time um I don't think he will because as you say he's a he's got a commentary career ahead of him and that will keep him present in the minds of um of tennis fans I suppose yeah, no, absolutely. Very bizarre situation just happening on the court at the moment. Uh, there's a match in Miami taking place between Novak Djokovic and Jeremy Shardy. Djokovic a game away from victory, and Shardy's just pulled up. I think he's twisted his ankle or his knee in a runoff to his right, and he's sitting in the in the corridor of the uh, of the stadium. He's gone over on his ankle, and Djokovic has gone over to have a look at him and see how he is, and he's just gone hopping into the tunnel. Who'd have thought Was it? Is he trying to get some shade or something? No, I think he's just hurt his ankle and now he's sitting down and uh, there we are. Anyway, a little aside. Uh, so Andy Roddick is uh, a broadcaster and a Champions Tour player and Leighton Hewitt maybe will be both of those in the future as well. But the talk is of coaches, really, isn't it, Catherine? We, we really need to just get straight onto that because yesterday or two days ago, Ivan Lendl and Andy Murray split. Who'd have thought it? No, it's like the breaking up of the Beatles. Well... Except more unexpected, perhaps. That was definitely yes. more unexpected. I mean, I wasn't around for the break of the Beatles. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for me, it was out of the blue. I don't know whether you had some insider information, which... No, uh, not at all. And, and I have to say, uh, I mean, the, I think there were one or two people uh, coming out post-split uh, and suggesting that maybe... I know Chris Fowler, the broadcaster from ESPN, tweeted that he fe- he felt there was a little tension in the camp and Neil Harmon mentioned that uh, they hadn't been seeing a lot of one another of late. Um, and, and, and frankly, Ivan Lendl and Andy Murray, following the sort of uh, very... Uh, gentle press release that went out announcing their uh, their separation. Both were pretty honest and just, I, I think they were honest anyway, and just said, 
You know, Andy Murray wanted more of Ivan Lindel's time, and Ivan Lindel didn't have that time to give him, and and that's really all there is to it. Yeah, and that sounds it sounds perfectly plausible. I mean, speaking to um, speak, you know, in Stockholm last week, there was Verlander, there was there was Edberg, there was Thomas Enquist, who's just signed up to do some coaching with Fernando Velasco. Talking to them about the um, the emergence of, of the super coach trend, most of them say. Yeah, you know, we get the calls all the time, and and we're in principle really keen. There's there's nothing that that doesn't appeal to us really about the coaching the the coaching aspects of the role. It's it's the travel and it's the being back on the tour and being with a player for however many weeks a year. That's what makes them say no every time. So the principle of that being an obstacle. I, I don't find surprising. It becoming an obstacle after two very successful years I perhaps find surprising something must have precipitated a, a sudden dissatisfaction with with the traveling or the schedule or or whatever it might be do you do you not think that maybe Andy Murray post US Open and Wimbledon I, I certainly think post Wimbledon and obviously he's had the operation as well I, th- I think there has been some psychological and mental challenge in in getting himself up for for things in quite the same way he was before i think that it's a bit like finishing your exams and not quite knowing what to do with yourself absolutely and 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 and, and i I just wonder whether maybe he felt like he needed more of lendl's time as a result of that to try to try to get to grips with this possibly but i'd be disappointed in lendl if he in the face of that said no nah, this is too much for me you know they've, they've been through all of that and it, it's no secret that you know it's one thing getting to the top okay by top i don't mean world number one because he's not got there yet but you know what i mean it's one t- one thing getting to the top of the mountain is another thing staying there and I it's, it's not it's obviously not been helped by the back injury so the challenge of that for Lendl I'd be disappointed if he'd balked at the the extra required from him to get Murray through that period because I don't think it's unreasonable for Murray to be struggling a bit it's, it's it's a bit disappointing that he's struggling as much as he is but I think everybody knew it could this could very easily be a difficult time so I don't know. It's it's really difficult when we're reading through reading between lines that we don't know are there. Um, so you know, obviously everybody's speculating. You know, opinions are a ten a penny, and 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 we're throwing ours into the mix now. But um, I'd be disappointed if that was a big factor. Hmm. Well, I I I can believe it in 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 many regards. I mean, certainly in terms of the contract that. I think it was Simon Briggs uh, I, I read from the Telegraph earlier today talking about how the contract stipulated that in the first year they would have twenty he would have twenty five weeks of Lendl's time and then twenty weeks the next year, and that it would it would descend in that regard and I suppose the point being that he needed more of Lendl's time early on whilst whilst he got to grips with what Lendl wanted him to do. I mean, it has been an unqualified success, that relationship between the two of them. They achieved everything that they set out to do. And, you know, huge credit to both of them, I think. A, for Murray, as we said at the outset of the the relationship, for him having the 
the guts to to go out and and get such a an unusual coach um and 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 try that out and and also to lendl for for pulling pulling it off from his standpoint but i don't know i i just wonder whether maybe from lendl's standpoint he he feels a little bit as low as though well yeah we've done it now i remember it, the first thing that that he said to us i remember we cornered him in the uh the us open player area uh, straight after that US Open final, and and said to 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 Lendl, right? So, you know, w- what does this mean to you? And he said, well, Andy brought me here here to, or I I came on board to help Andy win, and he's done it. Now I'm off to now I'm off to play golf, and I just wonder whether there's a little mm. bit of that in in his in his view of well, uh, we've we've done it. You know, um, and the the question mark then is, can you do it many, many more times? And well, they've decided that they're going to have to do it separately. So, who, so who is going to help him do it now? If if we're treat, if we're treating the challenge of making it to the uh, and the challenge of staying there and and consistently achieving it as two completely separate challenges, and Lendl had signed up for part A, but perhaps not for the arguably more difficult challenge of, of part B, which, which is fine. He's got his personal reasons. We know he loves his golf. Um, who Who's going to help him through part B? Well, should we should we find out what our listeners well, I think? I think we should, yeah. Before, before yeah, I commit I, to my I, opinion, I would quite like yeah, to know absolutely. what our listeners think. <laughs> I think that's pretty sensible. Um, and, well, I can tell you because uh, I put this out on twitter earlier today just just asked the, the question very simply you know who who should be andy murray's next coach um so let's just see if i can dig this up because um it did interest me just how many different answers were coming out mm. i mean every everybody has a different one and uh, and while i try to find this and, I, and i'm struggling just at the moment what are what is your opinion no oh, no no you've, you've technologically oh, hold on. Hold backed on. me into I've, a corner here i've i think i might have saved you just a minute just a, here we go here's some here's some here's some more you're just, uh, you're just stalling for time david stalling for time to make up your mind uh, no, I've got loads here. Uh, I've got Steph here, who's at Murray Tennis Fan, says, I wish Cahill would, do- Cahill would do it, Darren Cahill, but that won't happen. Don't want Jimmy Connors, who used to catch Andy Roddick. It's Roddy all right. I don't, one- think, I don't think Murray wants Jimmy Connors either. Well, why not? He, he's also achieved many, many things in the game. Yeah, I don't, don't see that being a gel of personalities, do you? Oh, and did you, on the outset, see Van Lendl being a gel of personalities? <sighs> More so, more so, yes, than... Uh, In hindsight. No, no, I mean, I really, really don't see Jimmy Connors and Andy Murray being... A, I feel strongly that that wouldn't work. Are you disagreeing with me? Oh, I don't know, yeah, I'm thinking about it. Hey, listen, I'll tell you what Steph's also saying. I think he should steal Edberg from no, Federer. No, let me tell you, that is an absolute love in Edberg and Federer. They, they're just a match... Made in heaven. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I only saw the Edberg side of things last week in Stockholm, but it just seemed so tranquil that uh, the relationship and so easy. You know, it's no, there's no pressure from either side. They obviously just 
are really getting a lot from each other mutually. There's no pressure. There's, I mean, I'm sure there is some kind of contract in place, but it doesn't feel like a really strictly bound this many weeks per year. It's, you know, if, if Roger feels like he needs me and it works, provided it works for me, I'm there, you know. And, and no, those two are soulmates in the tennis world and I don't think Murray's going to be able to prize him away. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, we have uh, Zainab, uh, who's at Zenon21, who says, I would like Agassi. Andre Agassi as coach. Now, that would be an interesting one, because I know that Murray used to idolise uh, Andre Agassi in a similar way to the way Federer idolised Edberg. I think the, the, the biggest issue would be that Agassi doesn't really want to travel, I don't think, too much. He's, you know, he's got his... Uh, his school uh, schools over in Las Vegas that he runs, and obviously he's got his kids of his own. I don't think he'd be wanting to commit to too much either. Yeah, I think we've. I mean, there's two different games going on here. There's fantasy coach, which is in an ideal fantasy world, who would he have as his coach? We can include Agassi in that pool, and then there's in in real life of the pool of people that are potentially available and potentially willing to accept the job. Who, who Joe Craven like says Neil Neil Harmon just for the fun of it. There's no Neil there's Harman, no fun in that. Tennis correspondent, move on. <laughs> tennis correspondent of the times. There's no fun <laughs> in that for anyone, Joe. Let's move on. Would be fun though, wouldn't it? Who, who would, would be, that be fun for? Who would that be fun for, David? Tell me. I, I would find that very very entertaining for like a day Mark and a Walt's, half, and then yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, meanwhile Andy Murray is about to step on the court uh, while we record this uh, tennis podcast on Friday evening in the first match that he's played since splitting from Ivan Lendl. And meanwhile, uh, Grigor Dimitrov is 4-1 up in the third set against Albert Montanius. Uh, he who shall be named Grigor Dimitrov now, having reached the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam and having won a couple of ATP titles. And uh, he is continuing his ascent. Now, who else have we got? Mark Walton uh, at Chapa 36 says, Mats Verlander. It's got to be Max Verlander. Well, He's a Grand Slam champion. He's got the analytical mind and he would fit well with the Murray camp. Well, he was a name that I was going to insert in there. I'm not sure which camp he falls into because he's, he's definitely not opposed to travel in principle. He spends most of his year on the road doing Verlander on wheels and coaching people, you know, co- coaching amateurs. But so the coach and obviously he's done high level coaching and the beast coach Safin for goodness sake in the past and Paul on rematur and um a couple of others I think so uh, the travel in the coaching tick tick but he loves his Philander on wheels he is utterly committed to it he loves the the broadcasting stuff he's able to we- weave into that I'm not sure if a 20 weeks a year coaching job with Andy Murray is necessarily what he'd want However, having said that, I do think he'd consider it. I don't think he'd hang up the phone and say, sorry, Andy, not for me. I think it would be a thought process. That's what I think. Well, the good news is we've got Mats Verlander on the show this week because Catherine spoke to Mats Verlander, the seven-time Grand Slam champion in Stockholm at the ATP Champions Tour event there, and he'll be on the show just after we've finished our chat talking about coaching, talking about the years that he spent with Marit Safin, talking about the alliance between Roger Federer and Stefan Edberg, among many others. Of course, when you did that interview, Catherine, we didn't know that Ivan Lendl would no longer be with Andy Murray anymore. Yeah, thanks, Ivan Landl, for making my interview instantly out of date. I really appreciate that. 
not to worry. That's <laughs> a, you know. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't just stick with Andy Murray to make sure our interview still had some value, Catherine. Let's all it would have taken was a couple of days. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just, maybe, maybe we should just, have actually done the podcast when we promised we would just, three days just ago. Buy me some time. Yeah, yeah. I oh, suppose. Well. So. But then the podcast would have been instantly out of date. So. Yeah. Well, Swings and roundabouts. Yeah, can't have everything, can you? Um, so th- that is the situation uh, with what everybody else thinks. What do you think, Catherine? Who should coach Andy Murray? Well, I've I've said Volanda Vil- was the one that instantly came to me. Um, I mean, basically, as we've already discussed so far, it boils down to he needs somebody that can teach him about staying at the top. That's it. And I think having had Lendl, a multiple Grand Slam champion, uh, can he go back to a mere mortal coach now? I don't I don't know. But then equally you could say, well, how many people are there out there available of, of Lend- with Lendl's pedigree? I mean, basically you're looking at Volander and, and McEnroe, hey, realistically. Well, I don't see McEnroe, McEnroe doing imagine it. Imagine that. Do you think, I mean, McEnroe sprung into my mind and then I instantly discarded it and then I and then I thought again, I thought, actually, would he just, would he? Do you I not, mean, do you not I, think that if he, if he took the call from Andy Murray, will you be my coach, John? Do you not think he would think, I want a part of this, I want to be part of this? Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I brought it back into my mind and then I thought, hang on a second, he will think, right, Lendl got helped Murray to two Grand Slam titles. I'm going to get Murray three and I'm going to get him to world number one. I mean, the rivalry between Lendl and McEnroe still very much lives on. Yeah, I mean, they played a Champions Tour event in the States uh, the other day and apparently there was a 10-minute intermission where uh, Ivan Lendl... (laughs) had a great big go at the line judge and the umpire and he got given a penalty point until somebody came on and, and said, no, no, we, we, we don't actually give penalty points on this tour. <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise me in the slightest, though. I mean, those two, I mean, it perhaps doesn't have the slightly nasty edge that it maybe had while they were actually on tour. You know, everything, the lines are slightly softer, the rough edges are slightly softer, I suppose, but there is still a heck of a lot of competitiveness. And if anything drives John McEnroe, it's competitiveness. So I, I'm now thinking, I, 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 and then I come, I think, oh, God, maybe it's just crazy. But but then I do come back to, as you say, you imagine him getting the call and I can imagine him thinking, well, now, you know, the cogs in his brain starting to turn. I think the competitive edge would, would, would come out and he, and he would fancy it. Um, I, I don't think he will get the call, though. To be honest with you, I, I, I think really? one, of the, one. No, I don't. I think one of the big things with with Andy is I don't think he he really wants somebody who. Um, I think he, you know, I, I think he Lendl was was quiet and quite happy to be in the background um, and just just let Andy get on with it. And John is. You know, he's obviously somebody. When people talk to him, he answers them. And if, if somebody, he won't shut down interviews the way that uh, Lendl would, without caring. You know how he came across. Plus, you know, he, he's yeah. become such a great broadcaster. How could he? Could he do those two jobs at the same time? I don't know whether he could actually carry on the broadcasting if he did that. And he loves that. You know, so uh, I, I don't see it. I don't see it personally. I, I think a more likely. 
appointment, um, for Andy Murray would be somebody who coached John McEnroe, uh, someone like Larry Stefanke, um, or someone like Bob Brett, uh, uh, people who have coached great players to great things. I think they're the sort of people that that Murray could turn to and still get something from at the very highest level. And not to say that McEnroe couldn't give him some something either, because he is one of the few that has shared that rarefied atmosphere. Plus, I think game-wise, actually, McEnroe would be a good mix for Murray in that they they both had that ability to to not give the opponent the same ball every shot, you know, and just change the spins and angles and not beat people with raw power. I'm talking myself into this. I tell you what, John McEnroe, I I want to see John McEnroe coach Andy Murray. How about that? Oh, crikey, it'd be brilliant. I mean, (laughs) the selfish part of me will be very annoyed with Andy if he doesn't make that call because, well, we're all tennis fans and who doesn't want to see John McEnroe sat in Andy Murray's players box for Wimbledon? Oh, that would be good. That would be hilarious. Oh. I'm, I was hoping you'd say, yeah, I think he'll make the call. I, unfortunately, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see it. Um, and I, I, uh, I've come to the conclusion it, it will be because of Murray and not because of not because of McEnroe. But yeah. I live in hope. Neil, Neil Harmon's you... money is on um, Bob Brett, uh, I, I read in the Times uh, a couple of days ago. And... Sat next to him on a plane last week. Oh, did you? Yeah. What, you sat next to Neil Harmon or Bob Brett? But Bob Brett. Okay. Bob Brett. And did you ask him if he was interested? I didn't. I, I didn't. But well, it new, hadn't the happened new, at the, the time. New, there the wasn't a vacancy. No, it hadn't broken. There was no out. vacancy for him to apply for. But he's in London at the moment. I can say that with confidence because I saw him filling out his um, his customs form, oh, declaring okay. how long he was staying in the UK for. Yeah. So, and he, and, Murray, uh, he is in London if it, you want to make the call. Yeah, if you're listening. Uh, now, he <laughs> probably wasn't, uh, I should say, he wasn't... Uh, predicting that this was going to happen, therefore getting over to London <laughs> just in case. For a start, well, hang on. do we know that, David? Do well, we know that yeah, categorically? Well, you, yes, we do. For a start, Andy Murray's in Miami, so what? What good would that do? Uh, and secondly, um, Bob Brett now has a contract with the Lawn Tennis Association to to go around to the the high performance centres to to work out which ones are the best yeah, and need keeping. Which is, so, which is probably more of a logical explanation for why he was spending. Some time in London, or, possibly, or possibly, it's, or not it's definitely. A, it, it's a fantastic cover-up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're all <laughs> theories. They're all out there. Uh, but we've absolutely no idea who's going to be Andy Murray's next coach. And frankly, I don't think he knows either. I mean, it's so re- recent. It was a couple of days ago, and I think, I think what we do, what I would be surprised is if he made a quick decision because he took seven or eight months to to come up with Ivan Lendl. I remember him doing a press conference at Queen's um, in about April of of 2011, it would have been, um, when he was struggling, he was without a coach, and people were speculating about Lendl even then, and, and that was April, and it took till the new year, I think, for that to, to eventually come out, so... Um, he played Wimbledon, he played the French Open without a coach, he's more than capable of doing it again, and we will see what he chooses to do. So Catherine, I think one of the main things to talk about really this year, once again, is Roger Federer. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Because we saw him play tennis at the Australian Open that I think got very everybody very excited. Certainly I, I was just... Uh, overjoyed at the way he was playing and the way he was taking the ball early and then because he got that drubbing from the Dow I think we all then started to question that but since then he's won the title in Dubai beating Djokovic in the final he's played glorious tennis in Indian Wells and only just got edged out by Djokovic there this is getting very very interesting Oh, and I can't tell you what a joy it is for, for especially for me, because uh, as I've stated controversially uh, on this podcast before, I found it very difficult to support or or engage with Federer when he was at his Federer superhuman best, if you like, because he was just so impenetrable and so, I mean, superhuman. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think he's the greatest player of all time and I could objectively appreciate his greatness I just couldn't engage with it I suppose or support him or but now now that he's still brilliant but you know not the infallible superhuman tennis mutant that he once was I just think it's brilliant I can't get enough of watching Federer and supporting Federer and I want him to be around and playing like this for as long as as is feasibly possible. I think it's fantastic for the game. And isn't there something really special about a player like him who's in his 30s, who's felt to be over the hill, 
to suddenly rediscover it when everybody else is still at the top of their games as well and there's something romantic about it and there's something inspiring about it and it feels a bit like a Rocky Balboa story and he's coming back from the dead and who knows where he'll end up. I mean, I still think he's going to win a slam. Hank, whoa, whoa, whoa there. What do you mean you still think? Because you have not put your neck on the line with this before. I've said... I think he'll win another slam. And you've said, I think he'll take our breath away one more time, which is nowhere near the same thing. how many times have you been hyperventilating at him? Right, right. Well, we'll let the listeners decide whether that is the same degree of putting your neck on the line. And now you jolly come lately saying, oh, yeah, he's going to win another slam. Do you know that every single Federer fan listening to this right now is saying, oh, for goodness sake, don't you predict he's going to do something good look what you did to jo- to del potro yeah yeah you, oh, you, you you've you've scuppered him I mean, it's happened it's happened already well i mean there's still a long time to go until wimbledon that's the problem and that's the one where he has the real chance isn't it because he's not going to do it in paris he could do it in the u.s open but that's a long time away um for me Wimbledon's for me the, the it is the one, and for me, um, it's all about Nadal. I think, as he said, we all got a bit worried when we saw him get drubbed by Nadal um, at the beginning of the year. But I think, basically, he can't beat Nadal. I mean, maybe on an exceptional day when Nadal's totally off colour. I think something. he could at Wimbledon. I do. Th- I mean, look at look do at you? look Oof. at Nadal uh, in the last couple of years. The guy's got beaten by Lucas Russell and Steve Darcy. It's, 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 it's not the same. It's not. It's just the matchup and and whatever it is, the history that's gone on between him and what that does in Federer's mind. I just think there's a block there. I'm not sure he can do it. No way. If Federer plays Nadal at Wimbledon and they're both playing well, Federer wins. Okay. Well, there is an actual prediction. There is you sticking your neck on the line. So yeah, that. So I applaud that. Oh, good. <laughs> um, well, I, t- I tell you what. If uh, the the big question mark for me is what physical state will Federer turn up at Wimbledon in? You know, if he's in the sort of form that he's in now, I I see him winning it. Well, so do I. And I tell you what, I think Edberg does too. Oh, really? He really, really believes in a very level-headed way. You know, uh, Stefan Eberg is nothing if not level-headed. He's not sort of <laughs> evangelically saying Federer is going to win everything from now until 2016 Olympics. You could balance he, your drinks it, on Edberg's head that it's so level. <laughs> he just really, really has belief in him. He knows he's got it in him. And, and it was really quite um, infectious the confidence that he has in Federer. What do you, what do you, I mean, I don't know, did you talk any detail with him sort of away from the microphones that you can just let us into uh, about what, what he might be trying to bring to uh, Roger Federer? Well, I mean, it's no secret that, that, I mean, I saw a fantastic graphic that somebody posted on Twitter the the other day of the amount that Federer has, has approached the net. It, it's very obvious that he is approaching the net more in his play since teaming up with Ed Berg. And I think that's probably, uh, obviously no accident, but I think that's Federer probably recognised that that would be a good tactic in his twilight years. And, and that had something to do with his teaming up with Ed Berg. Um, but I also, I mean, 
he's definitely working on um, the backhand, I think. I mean, I, I had thought it was more of a a sort of mentoring partnership almost, you know, with Federer being, with Ed Bogue being Federer's childhood hero. I think I thought it was more about sort of being inspired and, and doing doing something to keep his interest, you know, and keep him motivated. Looking up and seeing Ed Bogue in his corner will, will definitely be a motivating factor. But actually, I think they are doing some technical work definitely on the backhand because Ed Bogue's single-handed backhand is... It, still is glorious and not that Federer's isn't but I do think that he could learn something from Ed Berg's backhand still so I do think they're doing some technical work on that what do you uh, remember of Stefan Edberg from I mean are you old enough to remember watching him play during his career very latterly I remember him retiring and I remember my mum's shock at his retiring I remember some you know oh he's only 28 was he so I think I remember his sort of either last Wimbledon or last couple of Wimbledons um and my family were very big Edberg fans so I you know not at an age where I was capable of making my own mind up about tennis players I was an Edberg fan too so um yeah I mean I can't say they're the clearest memories I have in tennis but certainly he figures in my early tennis watching um existence mm. yeah well what a what a great guy he is i mean as you've got to know him as well you i mean you'll know that from personal experience but uh i mean i remember watching his uh his wimbledon titles and probably more so the ones that really because i didn't used to like it i didn't used to like stefan edberg as a tennis player when i was growing up and as a fan i and i'm <laughs> don't tell him i said this but i was cheering against him in virtually every wimbledon match he had um until 1992 when he he came into the US Open as the defending champion and in 91 he'd absolutely thrashed Jim Courier in the final it was one of the most one-sided demolitions I've ever seen but then in 92 he came in out of form and he beat in succession Richard Krajicek in the fourth round in five sets, Ivan Lendl in five sets, Michael Chang in five sets in the longest US Open match in history, and then finally beat Pete Sampras in four sets. And it was one of the most extraordinary runs, you know, and, and it made turned me into a Stefan Edberg fan. This sounds like my never cheering, never being a Goran fan until post Wimbledon 2001. He doesn't know that either. So. Well, he does because we'll, I've we'll texted ag- him. We'll agree to, to keep one another. Hang no, on a second. I mean, it's, it's outrageous. I mean, Goran, somebody who likes you and gets on with you and and you cheered against him in that Wimbledon final against Agassi. Mm-hmm. I can't believe, against Rafter. I can't believe it. But so, I mean, who can cheer against Rafter? That's like cheering against a puppy or something i mean the man is as likable as a human being is possible to be i just don't see how one could actively cheer against pat rafter i'm telling goran this this is just outrageous you know it's not on poor old goran i've made up for it since yeah, all right then. Uh, Goran is uh, is doing a bit all right in the uh, the coaching fraternity, isn't he? I've, co- I've I've nicknamed him the Croatian Mourinho. He doesn't like it though, does he? He's not a fan of that nickname. Why not? It's a good nickname. I don't know. People have very mixed views on Mourinho, don't they? It means he's a genius. Uh, it gets the best out of people. Yeah, yeah, that it does. And he's he's definitely getting the best out of Marin Cilic. That's one that's working. 
Yes, he certainly is doing that. Well, I mean, the, the, actually, the, the, the results that Cilic has put together in the last couple of months have been quite extraordinary, really, aren't they? Because, um, uh, you know, he's, he's won a title and um, he, he pushed Djokovic. He, I think he won his first set against him in, a, in about five years uh, in Indian Wells. Um, and, you know... Chilic is becoming quite an important part of the conversation, as is Alexander Dolgopolov, incidentally, who who beat Nadal in Indian Wells, and and he's a lovely player to watch. It's really nice to to see the way he's come on strong. Yeah, he, he's brilliant. He's one of those players that tennis needs, um, and is it's such it's like being hit in the face watching him. You know, it's just such a whoa. Where, you know, where's that come from? Um, but it. I think it's really important for tennis for different styles of play to be effective. Um, problem is he's he's been part of the conversation before, and uh, and not not been able to sustain it. So I really I really would like to see him. You know he's not going to be a top five player, but I'd like to see him be a consistent top twenty player. If so not, it's, it's top the, fifteen. The, the point you make there is 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 a very fair one about maintaining it I mean just on the screen has just popped up Ernest Gulbis who's the, yeah. the the embodiment of that statement isn't he somebody who's just so much fun to watch has so much going for him and yet can't s- seem to string it together but maybe but I think he he's but I think Ernest Gulbis is Ernest Gulbis has sort of willingly made that compromise in his mind don't you think he's consciously or subconsciously said to himself right I can I can be top 50 and I can still do all the fun things in my life that I want to do, or I can give up all the fun things and be top ten. And he's thought, I'll I'll keep the fun things and be top fifty. Do you think it is that calculating that? I, I mean, as I say, perhaps not as consciously as sitting down and 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 you know meticulously expressing it in those terms. But I think he is aware of the trade off and aware that you know, just as arguably Marit Safin was at various points in his career and there were other points in his career when Marit Safin said right I'm going to knuckle down and I'm going to go for it and maybe Gulbis will come to that way of thinking but I do think he is aware that there there is a bit of trade-off there that's what I think he is so similar to Safin isn't he in the way he carries himself and and it is funny though I mean I think he's played three matches against Dimitrov um, this year and in watching those two, it, it does bring back memories of Safin Federer, those matches that they used to have. And I think Gorbis has won two of them. Dimitrov's won one. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it, over the next uh, next six, eight months to see what happens. Because these younger blokes now, they're, they're starting to see the top players as reachable, I think, in it, certainly on a given day. Oh, Absolutely, it's a, it's a fundamental shift um, in tennis. Which I mean, to say that with there still being four players as incredible as you know the so-called top four, um, it is. But compared to the past decade, when they have been utterly impenetrable in a way that a set of of dominant players I don't think have been in the past. Um, it is it is a big shift for them to be. For the, for for lower ranked players not to walk on the court and just feel instantly defeated, for them to be walking on the court thinking just maybe, just maybe I've got a chance here. I, I think that's a big, definitely a big shift, and certainly for the more talented ones to start thinking right. Well, I'm 
I'm 22, those guys are still better than me, but they're 28, or, you know, if not 32. There's, I, I, if I can sort of get to top 10, hang in there a couple of years, there's going to be a window. There's going to be a window at some point, and they just need to be there or thereabouts when that window emerges. Talking of turnips for the book, you know one of the best stories of the year for me so far has got to be Venus Williams winning in Dubai. Oh, fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely, f- just a a um, a just a good news story. Just how can anybody not think that that's you know a wonderful thing for her for tennis for for her fans? And you know, I, after she won that title, I, mean, I was um, I was commentating that week for BT Sports and 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 saw a few of her matches and 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 I asked on Twitter. Who's gonna? Who's got more chance of winning a slam out of her and Federer? <laughs> and uh, oh dear, did I get a response from the Federer fans who who were up in arms? What What are you saying, David Law? But I don't know. I think she's got a chance at Wimbledon. Yeah, if she is stays, that what you're thinking? If she stays fit, you know, I mean, she's won the well, thing five I, times. Well, I, di- I didn't. I, I saw um, a couple of sets of highlights of her matches in Dubai, but I obviously didn't see as much as you did while you were commentating. So you're, you know, I'll I'll take your word for it. On paper, she, she I, I'm reluctant to accept that. I, 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 for me, I'd weigh heavily on Federer being the favourite to another slam. But I bow to your superior wisdom on this on this <laughs> one occasion. Oh dear, oh, <laughs> that's what we've come up to, is it? Uh, well, that, that you're just was... doing your best not to jinx Federer, aren't you? You know, yeah. if you unequivocally predict good things for him, then yeah. they just won't happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And some good news and some really very bad news as well uh, since we last spoke to you. So the good news is that uh, Ross Hutchins, who this time last year was undergoing chemotherapy, and of course we had our interview with him on the tennis podcast as well, and uh, and was really struggling with, uh, with Hodgkin's lymphoma. He recovered, he, he went into remission, he has come back out onto the circuit, he's won matches at Grand Slams, he won a match uh, alongside his partner Colin Fleming in, in Indian Wells a couple of weeks ago as well, and he's now the tournament director of the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club, which is where you and I both work as well, Catherine, so that's fantastic news, and having worked with him last year on the Rally Against Cancer charity match, I think we are, we're, we're really chuffed to bits. Yeah, it's going to be cracking. I'm delighted for him and I'm delighted for us to get to work with him because uh, he's a smashing bloke and he will do a great job in that role, I've no doubt. Yeah, he really will. And, and the bad news that I referenced is uh, the news that Elena Baltacha is suffering from liver cancer and uh, very, very uh, shocking news uh, when we heard that and, well, we wish her all the best. Yeah, I mean, what more is there to say? It's um, it's dreadful news really and um i think everybody's thinking of her and yeah absolutely now you spoke to mats philander catherine didn't you and uh what a what a pleasure and a privilege that was yeah all of all of six days ago but as we've as we've already mentioned already out of date <laughs> only a little bit out of date we'll put we'll, we'll, only a little we'll, bit. We'll play you the bit yeah. that's not out of date. When Catherine spoke to the former world number one and seven-time Grand Slam champion Mats Valander. Okay, Mats Valander, welcome. Well, welcome back to the tennis podcast because you've certainly featured before. It's nice to have you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. What I wanted to speak to you about today is coaching and the role of the coach 
and how it's evolved over the years and how it's certainly evolved very rapidly very recently um we've obviously seen very recently the evolution of the super coach mm. is that a trend that you predicted is that a trend that you could see coming you know once murray teamed up with lendl perhaps did did you see the success of that partnership leading to other similar partnerships Mm, I don't think so, no. I don't think anyone saw what was coming. I mean, I think we all understand it now that we see it. But um, I think the big difference is that when Ivan started with Andy Murray, he hadn't won anything. And suddenly uh, you have to start considering Ivan Lendl as the greatest uh, game changer as a coach ever, uh, with Andy winning two slams and an Olympic gold. So, uh, But I, I think that um, maybe the trend of having coaches that have previously played professionally could change. Uh, I don't. I think that we always knew that that would be a good a good combination. Although we didn't know that the best players or superstars of our sport were willing uh, to come back to the tour and travel and and give of their knowledge to players that are potentially competing with them in uh, uh, for certain positions in the, in the history of the sport. And uh, so it's you know Boris Becker, and Novak Djokovic. They both have six Grand Slam titles. Boris Becker is trying to help Novak Djokovic win his seventh, and then suddenly Novak is considered a greater player than Boris. But that just goes to show that 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 label of being the best player of all time, it's not something that anyone ever cares for. You want to be the best player in your time. That's a, that's a very interesting distinction you make, though, because there's, there's the players that have teamed up with coaches in order to learn how to be a champion. You could probably put Murray in that category um, you could put the likes of you know Thomas Enquist teaming up with Fernando Vadasco, Michael Chang teaming up with um, Kei Nishikori, and then there are players that are already multiple Grand Slam champions, bringing multiple Grand Slam champions into their team. What is Boris Becker teaching Novak Djokovic? I think that in the, in that case, I think Boris Becker was one was one of the uh, mentally strongest and toughest players, um, certainly in, in our generation and our time. But of all time, I think he obviously had a big serve and a big forehand. But more than anything, he had a huge heart. And if the, if the match was important, you knew that Boris Becker was going to show up and he's going to try every single possible, um, possible shot or tactics to win the match. And if you look at Novak Djokovic, his weakness is most probably still that he's mentally not quite as, um, as intense as Rafael Nadal is. He's, he has a little more fun on the court, it looks like. And uh, sometimes he's on and sometimes he goes off a little bit. I think the finals he lost to Andy Murray in Wimbledon, the finals he lost to, to uh, Andy at the US Open, the finals he lost to Rafa Nadal at the US Open this year. I mean, there's something that's not quite there. So I think that's, w I guess that's where Boris can, can share how he thought of things. Stefan Edberg and Roger Federer, I mean, that that's, seems pretty obvious from the sideline, is, is maybe to help Roger with his backhand a little bit. And also, obviously, um, make Roger feel more comfortable once he gets gets inside the service line and, and volleying, of course, but also covering the net. But just to have somebody that has that, has that experience of having won uh, multiple Grand Slam titles that says, yeah, even though it's not working right now, you are doing the right thing. Let's keep doing it. That's a huge difference from somebody uh, that has not won Grand Slams when they say that. And in terms of Edberg and Federer, do you th Federer has always said that Stefan was his idol growing up very openly. Do you think a little element of that is just 
bringing the spark back into the game for him, the excitement of having his childhood idol sitting in his corner? Absolutely. I think the fact that he even thought of um, calling Stefan means, first of all, that he physically must be 100% fit, that he's not injured at all, um, that he's stronger than maybe ever. Uh, he also changed his racket, and when you change the racket, you're, you're sometimes you're, you're hoping that it's not going to hurt, that it's not going to be a negative. You're hoping it's going to be positive. But, but for him to change rackets and call Stefan Edberg, it means that he, his mindset is very clear. He still thinks he can improve. Um, he still thinks he can play with the best players in the world. I don't know if it's going to help him win Grand Slam titles, but it certainly is going to. He's going to learn more about the game, and he's going to be more a, a more complete tennis player. And I think that's what we're all looking for all the time. Uh, you've got your own experience of, of coaching a range of players. I think the the the, um, the partnership that that's perhaps most interesting and bears most relevance to, to what we're seeing at the moment is with Marit Safin. He mm. was already a champion when you came into the team. What was it like trying to influence somebody, A, with the personality characteristics of Marat, and also who already was a champion, already had been world number one, probably already had his own ideas of, of how best to do things? Every you know every every coach player relationship is completely different. You think it's going to be you think you're just going to go in there and uh, and sort of explain how you thought when you're playing, and what you did after I won my first Grand Slam at at 17 years old. What how I dealt with it and how I won another one the year after and the year after, but it's it never works. You know it's always the dynamic between two personalities, and you got to figure out when is he willing to listen, when he's not willing to listen. So I really think the only thing I think I helped. Marat with was maybe a little more structure uh, while he's on the court and while he was playing matches and sort of uh, try and get him to understand that you're too good a player to lose to somebody who, who's ranked below you. Uh, and, uh, and I think that was successful. The year we worked together, he made a quarters at Wimbledon semis of the Open with a lot of pressure of having won the US Open the year before. So, but, you know, it's, it's different. Very often a coach is called in because the coach is good at some, or the coach is good at something that the player is not good at. So in my case, I was strong mentally. Marat Safin was most probably not as 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 strong mentally or as as level-headed as I was. But at the same time, when you are two different person pers- people and the characters are, are different, then you suddenly you just can't relate to one another because it's just so opposite. And I think that's maybe what happened uh, after a while. But it wasn't never going to be. Um, a really long-term relationship. It lasted for nine months, and and, um, and I don't know. It was fun, and uh, it seemed like it worked out for Marat pretty good. Did you have moments where you said to him, listen to me, I'm a seven-time Grand Slam champion, do it this way, and he said, well, I'm a Grand Slam champion too, hmm. I want to do it my way? No, never, never, because uh, that's not something you... That's Those are left, those are unspoken words. There's obviously a reason. He knows I'm a seven-time Grand Slam champion. Otherwise, I would never be there in the first place. Uh, Especially when you already have won a Grand Slam. You think you would know that he knows what he's doing. But just the fact that you get the phone call and um, and that he's willing to practice and and, uh, do it on my terms, that's it. You're a seven-time Grand Slam champion or however many. I don't think he has any idea of of the numbers. Uh, So... No, not at all. And uh, it's the last thing you want. You know that they know that. You know that players know exactly how, what their coaches have done in their lives, whether they've been players or who they've coached in the past. And uh, the, only, the, the only thing you have to see, or take, you have to take the hat off to these best players in the world who hire 
a former Grand Slam champion because it sure as hell is not Ivan Lendl's fault if Andy Murray loses. It's Andy's fault. And it's not Stefan Edberg's fault if Roger Federer loses. It can't be. It's Roger Federer's fault. So, so literally, this is, it's, it's, a, it's a risky situation to the outside world because once you start losing, it's just you. You're just not good enough as a player because you, uh, you can't blame your coach anymore. And for the rest of this year, uh, which partnership do you see having the most success in terms of you know, titles in the bag? Will it be one of the three main players that have got the super coaches, or will it be Rafa, who is, who's sticking with Uncle Tony through thick and thin? You know, I think that the, the one that's going to have the biggest um, title count is most probably Becker and Djokovic. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 